Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My first guest this week is indie rock legend Kim Deal. Born and raised in Dayton, Ohio, she started in music by playing guitar with her sister Kelly. But unlike a lot of kids with guitars that age, she never really had a real band. They never played shows, never toured. In the mid-80s, she got married, she moved to Boston, and after she got settled in, she replied to a classified ad looking for a bassist. Before long, she was in the band The Pixies. Later, when the band was on hiatus, Kim started to record her own music again. She formed The Breeders in 1989, and the band put out Pod, their first record, in 1990. I wait for you in heaven on this perfect string of love. In the 28 years that have passed since, The Breeders have broken up and reformed a handful of times. They tour sporadically. Through it all, Kim's had a knack for writing honest, sincere rock songs. When we talked in 2018, the Breeders had just released their first new record in a decade, All Nerve. Here's a song from that record. It's called Wait in the Car. Kim Deal, welcome to Bullseye. It's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Kim, you grew up in and still live in Dayton, Ohio, or at least the suburbs of Dayton, Ohio. Did you like it when you were a kid? Did I like Dayton, Ohio when I was a kid? Yes, I did. Yeah. It would flood. Um, I li- I was born, um, I would, grew up on Huber Heights and... Um, there was a lot of kids around. It was the 60s. There was a lot of neighborhoods. It was a new—there were new houses, new suburb buildings. Um, it wasn't super fancy, super middle class. And when at the when it rained, the, the bottom of the streets would flood, and we'd all get out there and, and walk around in the water, the sewer water, which seemed like <laughs> a great, fun thing to do. And now I just go gross. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. You survived cholera, though, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you did you still feel that way when you were, like, a, a teenager or an adolescent? Or were you scheming on how to do something, uh, you know, how to make it in show business or whatever? Let's see. Um, there—where are you from, anyway? San Francisco. Oh, were you born and raised in San Fran? Yeah. See, it's hard to describe to somebody who wasn't, who's born in a city. Okay, when you're in the city, there is an, um, there's a visualization of people who are in all sorts of industries and 
whether the family knows anybody in the industry or not, it's it's there and it's around. Like, you know, there might be a casting call for a movie or um, a shoot, you know, a film set being shot down the street. So it's always in, in the area and, the you know, so in Huber Heights, the ideal of showbiz, I think, would be, I think for most people would be high school musicals. I mean, I went, I remember going to Boston when, you know, checking out the clubs there and realizing that people, you could play, you were expected to play originals. Where in Dayton, Ohio, there's an expectation in the small bars there to play three sets at least, maybe four sets, and it would be mostly covers because that's what people wanted to hear what was on the radio. And if your band did do it original, everybody knew it was probably the worst song in the set. I mean, I wasn't in any of those bands, but that's just because I wasn't in a band in Ohio. But there wouldn't even be an idea of a band doing an all-original set. But you were playing with your sister, like you were aspiring to make music and even doing it professionally when you were a teenager, right? I guess, you know, we were doing it professionally. What is professionally? <laughs> I think that's where you get paid. <laughs> um, I don't think you I guess... guys were supporting yourself making music, but you but you were, like, playing out with a band at some point, right? No. not No. Never played out with the band in Dayton. Never. Good Lord, no. Um, we would play. I would play acoustic, and me and Kelly, we would start it out, you know, just— playing acoustic and singing together and loving music and then you know you know our our you know our parents friends you know were getting remarried and they asked us to play at the wedding and back in the day the songs to learn at the wedding you know, we were, you know, night, even we were still in high school, we would be doing Annie's song by John Denver. And there's a song called The Wedding Song. Um, and uh, The Rose, we would do that song. And so there was always a little fist, fistful of songs you could, you would do at the wedding. And we did quite a few weddings. And then there were the ground round. Do you remember ground round where you could eat the peanuts and you throw them on the floor? I don't, but that sounds great. And then you do four sets, and we would do some. We would do some original songs, and people would come up and say, "What's that song?" And that would be very. They would like that song, and that was good. When did you get the idea that there was, um, you know, another kind of rock music in addition to that? And and how did you figure that out? It was hard because in Huber Heights, you know, it's not like now with the internet. When we're lucky enough to have it, it's different because there's no. There was no fanzine, and there was no college stations. You know, the college stations thing started in the early 80s that I know of. And I only found out about the college stations in when I moved to Boston. I didn't even know about it in Dayton. My, my sister knew somebody who was going to school on the coast, and he would bring back these mixtapes of James Blood Almer, you know, the undertones, Costello— and so um, <clears throat> that's how I found out about some of those bands. And then I went to Ohio State University 
for like a semester, and I saw the talking head. So probably college, I guess, finally getting out or knowing somebody who wasn't when, when we get to that college age, which is a great reason to go to college right there, just to, if you're from a small town especially, you know. You know, one of the things that I am struck by about you and your career is that as much as, like, for lack of a better word, rocking out, was tied up in these, you know, cultural ideas about sort of absurd masculinity, you know, whether it's Led Zeppelin or Van Halen in tights, um, you know, whatever it is. And when New Wave came in and and was another option, it was often very beautiful or electronic. Um, and you chose to like continue to rock out like the fact that the the fact that that horizon opened before you when you saw the talking heads didn't mean that you abandoned like the ideal of wailing on a guitar you know right i did like led zeppelin a lot and black sabbath a lot i like led zeppelin and black sabbath too they're they're great (laughs) (laughs) they're awesome (laughs) right yeah, I just like uh, guitars, maybe because I grew up with the guitars being, you know, so prevalent, and and I still like guitars. I also there's a lot of you know being from Southern Ohio, and there's and my parents are from West Virginia, so there's a lot of um, the Appalachian culture that I'm that was around, like, and there's a lot of guitar playing and that, and there's a lot of women guitar playing in Appalachian culture. So it never got, there was never in my mind an idea that, oh, a woman playing guitar, that's odd. It's like, of course the woman is playing guitar because that's what, you know, bluegrass and being in the hillbillies that my mom and dad grew up, they were from the hollers in West Virginia. So that's what I mean, families played music. It was so the ideal of a female playing a guitar would just be wouldn't even be looked at as weird. Well, I want to play a Pixie song, mm-hmm. but I want you to tell me first how you ended up in the band. Um, I had married somebody who was visiting, who was working as a trans. He was a transplant from Boston. He was like a contract worker at the Air Force Base who had, who was working a limited time where you were living. Exactly. And they called him some, something I forgot. It begins with the T. Anyway, um, yeah. And my brother introduced us. And we got married. And it was time for him to go back to Boston. And I went with them. And I was just there for like we were we were married for like less than a year before we moved back there. And then I was in Boston for like a week. And um, I did what I've done before. When I was in L.A., I did this, too. Some people might not know back in the day you could you could kind of go to the back of these city weekly papers and you can look at the personal ads, you know. A lot of them are, you know, hey, starting a band, you know, musician wanted. And they were kind of fun to read because they were ridiculous, you know. Musician wanted, pro attitude only, must have van. You know, serious. We're gonna. We're here to do it for real. Something like that. You know, every night available. Just a lot of real serious. No sense of humor. People wanting music. I saw one in L.A. that was for a certain twenty-two to twenty-four-year-old singer for heavy metal rock and music for originals. Must have blonde hair. Must be 
between shoulder length and middle of back. I'm just like, <laughs> wow, this is so crazy. And then the one I read at the in the Phoenix was something about looking for somebody to play with, to do uh, songs a la Peter, Paul, and Mary and Husker do. Um, <laughs> no chops. <laughs> It's like I I didn't I didn't really think I mean it wasn't a band they weren't a band but it was a couple of people and it's like you know I would like to you know it's like one of those things where you think well what a relief that seems cool to me anyway and I was the only ad I've ever answered and I was the only person who answered their ad so so I I called them up and then I went to their house and we hung out and then we just started hanging out constantly Let's listen to Gigantic by the Pixies with my guest Kim Deal singing lead vocals. Uh, and it's a song that she wrote as well. And this I know, his teeth as white as snow. What a gas it was to see him. Walk her every day into a shady place. With a lip she said, Did you have a feeling like, yes, we're revolutionizing rock music? Uh, or were you not aware of it at the time? Um, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> I remember doing that, and I remember the, after the first take of me, I came back in and listened to it, and I was saying completely out of tune. Because you got to get used to the fact that when you're on a mic and you're wearing headphones and you're listening to pitch your vocal onto top of music, it's a totally different thing than singing out loud in a room. So you have to figure out like, oh, do I, where's my pitch at? Is it off of one headphone? Is it off of two? How do I find it? And then when it, but it was funny when I came into the room, it always reminded me of this, you know, the Partridge Family episode where David Cassidy thinks a girl is Keith. Partridge thinks the girl is cute and she goes up on stage and she sings out a tune and the people are clapping so loud that that she, nobody knows that she's singing out a tune. Anyway, when I came back in after singing Gigantic out of tune, Steve Albini was just, yeah, it sounds good. And I listened to it. It's like, oh, holy crap. I have to do it again. I don't think he noticed, notices when things are out of tune, though. <laughs> it just reminds me of that. For some reason. And I, we thought it was funny that Steve was getting these snippets of tape and putting them in between our our songs, you know, skit-like almost, you know? Mm-hmm. And I hadn't heard a lot of people do that before. I've read him basically be embarrassed about having done that. that he, he is, felt isn't like he? he, that, he that he, like, you know, that he was trying to... He was doing something that wasn't that didn't belong to the band and wasn't his place to do. When when he was playing it, we were we loved it. I don't know why he thinks that right now. Maybe he just is. He has rethought his philosophy of how invisible his production skills he wants to be. Maybe you know he's rethought that and it's it lands on a different side now. But at the time, we were it was we thought it was cool. And we thought we sounded cool, and we thought we were funny. Maybe he thinks it was a step too far. My conversation with Kim Deal continues after a short break. We'll talk about the Breeders' smash hit Cannonball and 
well, what it was like having a smash hit. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR's sponsor, NerdWallet, a personal finance website and app that helps people make smarter money moves. Have new money goals this year? Whether you want to use credit card points to plan a family vacation abroad once it's safe or take advantage of low mortgage rates to refinance and save for your child's education, NerdWallet is the best place to shop financial products to help make your 2021 money goals happen. Discover and compare the smartest credit cards, mortgage lenders, and more at nerdwallet.com. On NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we talk about what we're watching, listening to, or just trying to figure out. Like what concert films you should watch if you miss live music, and great books to read alone or in your book club. All of that in around 20 minutes every weekday. Listen now to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we're the hosts of One Bad Mother, a podcast about parenting. Parenting is hard, and we have no advice, but we do see you doing it. Honk if you like to do it. (laughs) Didn't we have a bumper sticker a while back that was like, honk if you did it? That's what it was. I think it was honk if you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Why did we not ever make those? Those We did make them. I think they're still in the Max Fun store. (laughs) Honk, honk. You're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Biz. So are you. Each week, we'll be here to remind you that you're doing a good job. You can find us on MaximumFun.org. Honk, honk. Toot, toot. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Kim Deal. She was a founding member of the legendary rock band The Pixies, and she's frontwoman of the band The Breeders. When we talked in 2018, her band had just released their first new record in a decade, All Nerve. Let's get back into it. Were you surprised, Kim, when your project started on a touring break from The Pixies, The Breeders, became a smash hit band i mean in a way that the pixies even had never been as much as they were you were a successful working band when i was 13 i watched you on mtv you know was that surprising to you at the time um i think surprising i don't know if that's the word as much as it is unintended mm-hmm. i mean the break from the pixies then was It was kind of, you could tell, like, we probably weren't going to get back together. That's what I was thinking anyway. And then it does go slowly. Like, the the song that got on the radio, Cannibal, you know, I'm using my brother's harmonica microphone because that's like the Fulgerberg, you know, Loggins and Messina in there. And, of course, my brother has a harmonica microphone. Of course, as a sister, you want to plug it into the Marshall and you want to start going... Chuck, chuck, one, two, three, you know, because that's fun. That's what you do to your brother's harmonica microphone. <laughs> so, I mean, and starting out with the with the feedback and the squeals and stuff, you know, it's certainly nothing that one thinks, okay, now we got the top of the song ready for a smash radio hit, you know, or something. So it is, and it was un- certainly unintended that, I mean, I really liked it. Why? I mean, nobody thinks it's going to be on the radio or anything. That would be weird. Let's hear a little bit of it. Yeah. 
Uh, that's like one of those songs that um, when I got my first CD player, it was one of my first CDs, and it was, you know, you could, um, like the the magic power of a CD player to somebody who had listened only to cassettes is that you could put a song on repeat. I think I probably listened to that song, you know, <laughs> 20 times in a row often sitting in my basement room at my dad's house. Yeah. Um, and it That's like cool. It was really cool. And you were and are very cool. But like that, that must have transformed your life in a lot of unintended ways to be in a hit making rock band rather than a taste making rock band. You know, it was it was cool. I'll tell you one one thing that was different about it. I was in a bar and um regular bar. Then this had never happened with the Pixies. And there was a dance floor in the bar and the DJ, there was a DJ and the DJ played Cannonball and people rushed to the floor. And it mm-hmm. was the first time that I had ever been in a band where people da- actually danced to the song, any song <laughs> that the band had ever done. It was like, oh my God, people are dancing to this. It's crazy. It was really exciting. I rushed out there just so I could stand there while people were dancing to the song. What was it like to get the band back together for the Breeders more recently? We were sitting on the couch, Kelly's couch, in like 02. It was the spring, summer, and Kelly said, do you know next year is 2013? She said, do you know that's 20 years for Last Splash? We should call Jim and Josephine and see if they want to do some shows. And I thought maybe Jim McPherson was mad at me because we had played with the amps and he had left my house in a huff and I hadn't spoken to him since. So I said, I'll text Josephine. You text Jim McPherson. (laughs) And so I texted Josephine and she said, I'd love to. And Jim said, I'd love to. And then we started getting together and we started, we told, you know, 4AD found out about it. And 4AD was like, you know, what about a box set? And it's like, you know, we have all these singles that people, when we're, they released a single back in the day they would put like three songs on it and it's quite a nice release and a lot of those are import only so we put all of those in the box set and so there was that and so it lasted we really enjoyed doing it the same sort of thing people couldn't wait they knew what songs coming next and i love the album so it, you know and it was fun and it's great playing with jim and josephine you were a really serious drinker through much of the early years of the breeders was part of the experience of doing it now more recently the difference between doing it when you were i mean i i read you describing drinking so much that you would black out in the middle of sets and sort of come back a song later was part of the experience the difference of you know playing to a packed club uh clear-eyed well, not a, what you're saying isn't exactly true. Okay. Um, I, I don't mind you saying it at all, but it, it's not exactly true. I never played drunk and stoned. I just couldn't do it. You can't play drunk and you can't play stone. So through all the pick season, through all the breeders, never did it. Then the amps started. That's a whole other band. And then I started drinking, and there was only a couple of shows. One was in Austin. There's only one that I remember. It was in Austin. And I was drinking a lot then. But that wasn't a lot of – I didn't spend my life doing that. I don't typically – that doesn't – it wasn't something I did, you know. 
Typically. Otherwise, I would say it. But I was drinking, but, you know, afterwards and stuff, you know. Right. So, and what, sorry, sorry, what was the question? Well, how's the experience different, irrespective of the drinking or the uh, pot smoking? From playing? 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Hmm. Um... The PAs are really good nowadays. <laughs> the PAs, they've, they've done fantastic technology. It's really amazing. And there's a lot of difference in sound, the musical style. So there's these, there is some trouble with bass bins, I think, the sub bins. I mean, people really love to open those up. And, you know, there's just is no subwoofer in Beatles. There's no subwoofer in most, like, regular, there's no subwoofer in Pixies and stuff like that. So sometimes the PA guy is going to want to do the D. Where they're opening up the big, huge subwoofer and going, and the band, and the song is do 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 boo boo do do do, and so it just doesn't work. So that's kind of a challenge. It can be if you don't have a good front of house, but we have a good front of house. Kim, it sounds like you are fully ready to go solder some cables right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is a big, huge difference, though. The PA are fantastic and there's not a lot of blowback anymore so the whole sound system sounds a little different it's like wow you, I need to actually hear this you used to have so much blowback it's like it's a, that's a big deal well Kim Deal thank you so much for taking all this time to come on Bullseye and talking to me I really appreciate it thank you for talking to me I appreciate it too Kim Deal from 2018 the most recent Breeders album All Nerve is really great It also looks like the Breeders are back in the studio. They just recorded a new song called The Dirt Eaters, a cover of the band His Name Is Alive. Here's a bit of it. Going to a place that's rotten Feast on what's on the way Going to a place that's rotten Feast on what's on the way Going to an open to a clearing The soil is sour and unforgiving We buried our kill I think I love That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where... There is an endless parade of giant trucks filing down my narrow street, each stopping to be filled with dirt, then continuing on their merry way. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Production fellows at Maximum Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat, who both started this week. They are on the line with me right now for the first time. Welcome aboard, Richard and Valerie. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks very much to them and their label Memphis Industries for sharing it. The Go Team have a brand new single, by the way. It's called World Remember Me Now. And like The Go Team in general, it totally rules. You can also keep up with the show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post all our interviews in those venues. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. 